Hello, I'm Krista Wallace, and this is Learning to Serve. This week, I'm interviewing a dear friend of mine, Tim Scarborough. Tim and I shared many things in common. We were both from Texas, we attended the same university, and we even studied outdoor education for our undergraduate. I hired Tim years ago to serve as the first expeditions coordinator at the Dulos Discovery School, which shaped the culture of outdoor learning for years to come. We led wilderness trips together, planned weeks and weeks of outdoor ed, and even shared an office at one point. Tim is absolutely one of my favorite people, and I am delighted he's with us today. So let's listen to Tim's story and how outdoor learning has shaped the minds and hearts of his students. Hey folks, and welcome back to Season 3 of Learning to Serve, the podcast that explores deeper learning in Christian schools. I'm Krista Wallace, host, editor, and producer of this podcast. Let's dive in. All right. Well, Tim Scarborough, welcome to Learning to Serve. It is absolutely delightful to have you on this podcast today. Um, Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know Tim, uh, Tim and I worked together at the Dulos Discovery School in the Dominican Republic for a very long time, <laughs> <laughs> and we shared an office together, and right. first started off as the expeditions coordinator, and then moved up the ranks quite quickly, uh, but mm. we're going to focus on when you were, fo- when you were uh, working as the expeditions coordinator, you know, yeah. wilderness coordinator, uh, what was that job? <clears throat> what was that job like for you? Could tell us a little bit more about that. Oh man, um, I loved that role, and really, up until I took that role, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was one of the first people to fill the expeditionary coordinator role at Dulos. Sure. Um, so you that was that was <laughs> that's right. It was a huge privilege, and um, I think honestly, that was something that was attractive about the role is that no one had filled it before and so there was there was zero preconceived notion of what it needed to look like or what had to happen um, and so I got to use my entrepreneurial spirit and my creativity to just endeavor a lot of things and pioneer and um, what I think one of the the funnest parts about it was that at the end of the day what I really did was I I was going around campus to all of the other educators K through 12, and um, just talking through their expeditions, talking through their curriculum and their lesson plans, and trying to integrate uh, what we were doing on the expedition side into their curriculum. And Mm -hmm. so it felt like, and I think someone even said it at the end of my first year, it felt like I was going around campus just filling up people's cups and um, just allowing them to think creatively about what they were trying to accomplish in the classroom. And um, that was a really fun role to be in because it felt like I just got to go buck wild on, you know, uh, it, it was the, it's the wild west of education, you know. And Wait, outdoor education of, or do us? <laughs> maybe education in general, I don't know. But um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. So um, I think I really just thrived in that role and, you know, it was, it was the, the end of that first year, whenever you approached me about taking a leadership role on um, at the school, and 
um, I think it was because you you recognized that I was just fully living into something that I was excited about and kind of the, the structure that was surrounding uh, this particular role of expedition coordinator. So um, yeah, it was a really fun job. <laughs> kind of a dream job for me at that point in my life. <laughs> yeah, right. You're going to have a midlife crisis sometime. You're going to be like, I just want to go back to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> you might have the opportunity. <laughs> um, go back a, a few years before that. How did you get involved? Yeah. What was your interest in outdoor education? How did, what was the path toward Yeah, that? so uh, right out of high school, I, um, I got into Texas A&M and I, I, applied for the education department in kinesiology. And at the time, I, I really thought that I was gonna be a high school football coach and teacher. That was kind of the track that I thought I was on. Um, Cause I, I didn't really know or dream of anything different. And, um, and so I was kind of in the kinesiology department for that purpose. And then after my freshman year at a and I um, got my first job at, <laughs> yeah, I got my first job at a summer camp. And, um, and it was like, I, it blew my mind, um, that, that there were people that did this summer camping thing professionally, like as a career. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is really cool. You can have a year round job in summer camping. So, um, that's when I made the decision to specifically focus, um, on outdoor education. And so from that point on, my goal was really to get an outdoor education degree and then go and work for summer camps. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I did, um, I, you know, I, I focused on outdoor education, um, and at A&M, even though A&M is a really big school, the outdoor ed program was really small. There was only probably 20, 25 other students in the program. So it was really mm -hmm. intimate. And I got to know all the, all my profs really well, um, who are still really well-known, uh, influencers mm -hmm. in outdoor education. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, um, from there, I, I kind of went through school, graduated, and um, and then I went overseas. And so it kind of, I thought it was going to go right into camping ministry, but it kind of took this different um, form after I graduated. And I started in um, international education, um, mm -hmm. was my first job right out of college. Uh, we moved my, um, at the time, we were still dating, but future wife and current wife, Whitney um, was teaching overseas. And so I followed her overseas to Bolivia and we were both working at an international school down there. And um, it was two years later that um, I met Krista and, and she invited us to Dulos. And so it's your, it's your fault, really. I blame it all on you. Um, so you're, you're kind of the, yeah, <laughs> you're kind of where, where the transition happened from, you know, my, uh, taking this education that I'd gotten in outdoor education and then applying it to, um, you know, expeditionary learning. So um, that's where it, it kind of fully came full circle. If I remember correctly, um, you wanted to come to the DR and I told you no. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. In our first conversation, you said, no, wait, you're, you're, fiance is in Bolivia and you want to come here. And I said, yeah. And you said, maybe you should go there first. <laughs> so I was like, like you know what, that's Bolivia. a good idea. They have mountains. <laughs> come on. <laughs> oh man. Go do that and then come work with us. <laughs> that's right. So in, in Bolivia though, I mean, to, to go back a little bit in Bolivia, I was, I was leading a backpacking ministry there 
So I, I was doing a lot of the same stuff that I ended up doing at Dulos, but um, just in a, in a totally different setting. Um, yeah. So, you know, anybody that knows anything about Bolivia, it's a, it's a mountaineer's playground. I mean, we lived at 13, 14,000 feet and all the mountains go up to, you know, 20, 21,000 feet up there. So it was an incredible adventure. Um, so yeah, that kind of primed me for life at Dulos, I think. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and honestly, what your program is for outdoor education completely depends on your setting, what you're oh, able totally. to do, right? Access to adventure. Yeah. Totally. So if you're living near the ocean, well, you're probably gonna do a lot of ocean things. If you're living in the mountains, you know, totally different opportunities. So. And that was the cool part about Dulos is that it was, it had both, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we were yeah. on an island in the middle of the ocean, but yeah. yet with some of the tallest mountains in the Caribbean yep. right in our backyard. So it really did have both options. So that's true. Yeah, and that made it fun. Drive hours and hours and hours to get there. That's right. So, so outdoor education, I mean, you, your formal training, um, it, it's interesting because I did the same program at Texas A&M that you did. And I understand. I mean, it's like there's, at the time, there were 40,000 students, but there's like 20 in, a, in this program. Yeah. So it's exactly. like a little tiny school within a school. Um, yeah. How would you define outdoor education? I think outdoor education is really any learning that happens outside of the classroom. I, I, at, its, at its basic level, um, outdoor ed is uh, taking the, the traditional classroom and setting it aside for mm -hmm. a second. Um, at, at a much deeper level, though, I think outdoor education is integrating things that you would learn in a classroom in a in a setting that's that's outdoors and yeah. and then applying other disciplines into that right and so not just um, not just something you know like math or science or something like that but integrating those things together and then placing life lessons on top of it mm. um, that that kind of was what sold me on outdoor education because it was it was there was always a deeper thing that you were learning past the lesson objective you know yeah. Yeah. um so for sure now i mean we know dulos is a faith-based it's a christian school was the school that you were working in bolivia was that a christian school too or no it was yeah um and it's a larger organization so they have uh 24 or 25 schools internationally um, around the world that that do education, but it it is more of a traditional based um, education. There's it's not expeditionary or you know experiential learning in any way. So how did you use? Let's just think about kind of the non-academic side first, and then we're going to look at the academics. Yeah. How was elder education a part of the non-academic school culture uh, discipleship piece of of Dulos? Yeah, so um, I think what it looked like was people taking interest in each other's lives outside of school, right, for the, the non-academic side. Um, and especially in a, a Christian school setting, that gives way to discipleship, right? It, it's, yeah. it's a perfect formula for disciple, discipling young students, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's what that's the piece that was really attractive about Dulos is that it wasn't just these educational concepts, but we were applying an internal value to it as well 
um, and integrating that into our lives outside of school. And so um, Harabakoa, the, the town that we worked in at Dulos was such a small community and very intimate. You, you knew everybody. And um, so you can't help but bump into each other and rub shoulders. And um, I think it's, it's a lot like doing life together, you know? Um, that's what it feels like. Um, and, and you're, whenever you're in a community like that, that is naturally inquisitive, um, mm -hmm. and curious, then you, you learn together, you know, you, you get to go through the hard parts of life that mm -hmm. everybody's going through, but you're doing it with people shoulder to shoulder with people that are like-minded. And, um, I think it's beautiful. Um, and so I think that's the piece outside of the classroom that, that, you know, outdoor education really lends itself to. Mm -hmm. It is such an amazing tool for relationship building. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I was to do it all over again, you know, our, outdoor ed was always our first quarter. You know, everybody did outdoor yeah. education pre-K through 12th grade. Everybody had a little different, uh, their outdoor ed week looked a little different. If yeah, I was yeah. to do it all over again, I would probably move it up even closer to the beginning of the school year. Really? Just so it, I mean, it's such, it's, it sets a precedence when, when, when kids can um, get to know their teachers on a, on a personal level, you know, on yes, a yes. human level, um, it really does change the dynamic in, among students and, and students to teachers, to students to staff. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, one thing I feel like we're learning now as parents that we, we had just started the, the parenting journey whenever we were in the DR. Um, but now that we're, you know, 11 years into it, um, our oldest is 11 years old. And um, I think we, we do ourselves a disservice whenever we delegate the education of our kids to establishments. I think education starts in the home and that it starts with Absolutely. parents and yeah. it starts with us modeling the things, the values, the worldview, the perceptions that we want our kids to uphold. And so I think it's it's so tempting for parents, specifically in, in America, to um, relegate any learning that has to happen at school. You know, like yeah. I, I might be able to help you with your homework, but that's about the extent of it, right? But the reality is, is that they're learning way more from their non-classroom time than they ever will wow. inside the classroom, right? 100%. And so that's, that's the piece that, you know, is the, the outside the classroom part that mm -hmm. you just, you can't replace with, uh, with anything inside the classroom. Right. Very true. Very true. Yeah. And, and even, you know, <clears throat> we would even invite some parents along the journey, you know, to, to help out yeah. and, yeah. you know, and, and for most of our parents, this is the first time they'd ever done something like this too. So they were right. like, Oh, I wish I went to a school like this. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. I would, I would have valued. Oh my gosh. If I had an outdoor education option, whenever I was growing up, like I would have thrived in an environment like that because I'm just naturally that way, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, I think it's integral to the way that kids learn. Oh my gosh. You know, I grew up in Tyler in, in Texas mm -hmm. and <clears throat> Camp Tyler was one of the first outdoor education uh, places, settings in the state of Texas. I mean, it was, you know, when I was in elementary school in the 80s, early 80s, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
a long time ago. Um, <laughs> you know, it was one week. It was just one week. Yeah. And I'm 50 years old now, and I still remember what we did on that. Right. I can't remember anything else I did during elementary yeah. school, but I remember that week at Camp Tyler and, yeah. and just how learning came alive. And there was, I mean, that was the first seed that was planted for me. And I was like, and I, little did I know that this was kind of going to be the path that, 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 that this was going to take me on. Yeah. Um, so let's look at the, the academic piece. How was, how was outdoor education woven into, you know, the different grade levels, the different, what, what did preschool look like compared to high school? Cause there's yeah. a big, you know, big gamut. Yeah. So, um, I, I feel like the thing that outdoor education does well is it is it takes an object lesson or uh, a lesson plan that you want to accomplish mm -hmm. and it it allows you to pose the question of how can I accomplish this objective in a way that is interdisciplinary that mm -hmm. that includes all of your faculties um, so when you're talking about a preschooler those kids are bouncing off the wall right they you have to use all of their faculties otherwise you will lose them like they will they can't sit still you know so you have to use their touch their their smell their eyes their hearing you have to engage all of those faculties just to like keep their attention um and that is way easier to do when you can take a hike and like show them things and have them have them pick something up or feel something or listen to something out in nature like it's way easier and, and then you you bring it back to the classroom right and you and you say hey tell me what you saw out there and and so it's it's way easier to draw that out of a mm -hmm. uh, a young student um mm -hmm. when you're not in you don't have to sit still in a cubicle desk you know um as <laughs> they you do that anyway <laughs> yeah so as you get as you get older in the grades, I think what it does to in you know your middle school and high school grades mm -hmm. is, um, it is a it's a it levels the playing field mm -hmm. in terms of um, you know in a traditional classroom setting, um, there are students that know how to uh, they've got it figured out right they they know how to make the grade they know how to pass the test they've gotten really mm -hmm. good at uh, rote memory and things mm -hmm. like that but um when you pull them outside of that comfort zone it kind of levels the playing field for everybody and says okay we're all equals out here um you can't rely on just your sheer intelligence you actually have to be a problem solver in this environment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so it 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 requires a different level of intelligence um for for those students that are used to just passing a uh standardized test you know um, I think that the current traditional education system is really good at creating students that know how to pass tests. But is that what we want? Is it, do we want students to, you know, graduate from high school and college and just be able to pass tests? No, not at all. We want students that can think critically about the situations that they're in and, mm -hmm. and problem solve their way out of it. And I think that's what it does for your older grades is it, um, it creates that mentality that they they can't just rely on you know book smarts. They have to they have to be problem solvers. Yeah, it's true. You know that that was that's an interesting thing that you just mentioned. The kids that would do very well in the classroom 
typically weren't the ones that excelled when we would take them outdoors. That's right. Right. The kids that were struggling, maybe had attention, you know, ADHD, hyperactivity, yep. you get them outdoors and they are the leaders. I mean, they're That's the right. ones who are like, no, I know how to do this. I want to try this. They're yeah, the, yeah. you know, higher level of risk-taking uh, mm-hmm. in a, in a positive way. Um, they're less fearful. And I mean, it, it's, it's good for the teacher to be able to see, whoa, I saw this kid thrive mm-hmm. in this environment. Because when we go back into the classroom, that's, that's challenging for that student, you yeah. know? And so being able to see uh, this, you know, just recognize the strengths of students in different, in different scenarios. And, and too often our classrooms are taught by women <laughs> mm-hmm. who, and really young girls do mm-hmm. well in their classrooms. Yeah. And that's like, okay, that's, that's not bad. Um, but let's, let's vary the types of learning environments that we're asking, that we're facilitating. And, sure. and especially for our boys. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. for our really active boys, but even for our active girls. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's fun to, to be able to see uh, kids excel in a way, and maybe for the first time, that this is a school-based activity. And I'm actually really enjoying this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And yeah, it makes them come alive in a way that they they might not ever do inside of a classroom, you know. Right. And and by the time kids are in, you know, early elementary, they've kind of solidified this identity is of I'm I'm smart or I'm I'm good at school or yeah. I'm not. And so when we can especially for the kids who who um who don't have a healthy identity, school identity, mm-hmm. um this could really, really help. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It would have helped me, you know, if I had had something like that. Um, I, I definitely would have been more inclined to do better in, in school had I had a, a learning environment like that for sure. Yeah. It's Chad too. Yeah. <laughs> Chad's like, I never thought I was very smart. And I'm yeah. like, Are you me? you're brilliant. What? That's crazy. <laughs> Um, going back to like the differentiation between preschool and high school, um, you know, preschool, a lot of times it was outdoor education just happened right there in the, in the school yard, you know, um, we had the, the bonus of having an actual river about two blocks away. So, you know, we might take the four-year-olds down and, and do a, a, you know, a, a, a riverside study, what lives in the river. Um, yeah, but it doesn't have to be far, far away. You know, it could just be right on your school campus. You can do outdoor education right on your school campus. Yeah, in your backyard. And and I think that was the thing that Dulos um, really kind of ingrained in me was using the resources that you have available to you. So any any school across America, no matter how big or small, is on a shoestring budget, right? But in in <laughs> In the Dominican Republic, it was even more dramatic of a shoestring budget because we didn't have all the fancy equipment and we didn't have the, you know, grants and all the things. It was, you know, we were, we were balling on budget. And so it yeah, had like, to, you can walk there. Yeah, you can do it. <laughs> that's right. So it, it forces you though, to be more creative mm-hmm. and, and be yeah. more entrepreneurial in the way that you kind of endeavor to do these things because you 
when you're limited by resources, you really do have to think outside the box. Mm. And so it's, it, we challenged our teachers and our educators in a whole new way that they probably never would have signed up for if they, if they knew in advance, but um, yeah. Okay. So we had some amazing mm. outdoor learning expeditions. We did. Truly. And I got to go with you on some of them. Yeah. What were some of your favorite trips that you took kids on? Oh man. Um, I think the, the highlight was probably uh, Pico for me. Um, that was, yeah, that was. So that's the highest peak in the Caribbean. That's 10, right. 10, yeah. 10,000 something. Yeah. 10,500, I think. And um, so it doesn't sound super impressive, but when you're starting at sea level, that's, a, <laughs> that's a lot of displacement. Um, so it was, uh, steep. yeah. So Pico was, it, it was almost at Dulos. It, it kind of became a rite of passage, right? Like, oh, for sure. because we, we did it in, you know, eighth and ninth grade. And so it became something that like, you you could graduate to to high school if you could pass Pico Duarte kind of thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that so was the by, trip, right? Yes, exactly. So by the time um, I left Hadabacoa in 2014, I had I had summited Pico like over a dozen times because I was you know going with on all these student trips and um, I I got to know it like the back of my hand. So that was definitely a highlight for me. I think the other really fun one just because it was you know a little bit more exotic was the coral reef trip that we would do every year and that was what sixth or seventh grade yep sixth grade oh yeah it was that was awesome and it was okay, such so, a different trip so pause so the pico duarte trip was like a five-day backpacking trip right yep yep that's kids right. would i mean they kids took everything they took their their gear their food they kids cooked their own their own foods i mean there were a lot of skills that were learned um yeah along the way but it was really I mean the the main purpose of that one really was uh character development discipleship yes big time because yeah. there was a lot of complaining happening <laughs> so much complaining so many you know blisters and my pack is digging into my shoulders and you know all the things With great so, gear we had great gear it was really good gear yeah but even with the, the best gear, you can't stop a middle schooler from complaining, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, eighth graders, 13 year olds, no way. Yeah. And then the sixth grade trip to the Coral Reef, that was more of a, that was, that was not necessarily outdoor education, but that was uh, integrated into the learning expedition through yeah. with their, um, with their oceans unit. And that was, yeah. that was, you know, five days, four nights sleeping on a beach. That's right. Uh, with a marine biologist studying the coral. I mean, oh, it was, it's, it's about as good as it gets. It was yeah. fabulous. Yeah. Just, you know, cooking over a fire on the beach, you know, and having these amazing sunsets. And it was like, it was what you see on a postcard, but like right in front of you. So yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and for so many of these kids that grew up three hours from the beach, sometimes for those kids, it was the first time they had actually been to the beach. Yeah. Yeah. They live on an island, but they've never been to the beach. Yeah. They live in the mountains. So yeah. Uh, yeah. were there any other trips that you go, gosh, that was just incredible. I can't believe we got to do that. Oh man. Um, I'm trying to think. 
There was one that I did with um, Dan in one of my last years there. It was a newer expedition, and I can't remember the name of the um, the cave. It was on the north coast. Um, oh, was it the the underwater cave? Yes. What oh. was that called? Doo doo. <laughs> yes, that's it. How could I forget that? Doo doo. <laughs> La cueva doo doo. <laughs> that's right. The cave of doo doo. <laughs> it did not have doo-doo by the way <laughs> no but it was incredible yeah it was like it was like spelunking like you could go swim underneath this area and come up in a totally different um it was so cool oh my gosh incredible incredible yeah. so as you think about your work with outdoor education yeah both in Bolivia and in the Dominican Republic um what would you say is the power and the purpose of utilizing outdoor education. Uh, why should a school consider doing this? Hmm. Well, I think whenever you, you think about all of the, the disciplines that you learn in an outdoor education setting, it's, there's, there's more reasons to do it than not to do it. You know, mm -hmm. um, just all the things that we've been talking about here, uh, plus your, some of your just in, intrinsic relational um, takeaways that kids have from being in an intimate setting like that outside of their comfort zone. Um, that's the power to me. Um, and I think it, it really does just level the playing field, like I said earlier, um, because the, the traditional education has gotten, um, I don't know, it, it seems mundane in a way um, compared to the excitement and the adventure um, that, that can be had in, in outdoor education. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it, it sparks something in mm -hmm. students. It sparks their uh, a spirit that some of them didn't even know they had until they step out and, and kind of blaze a trail, you know? Yeah. And um, so it it feels whenever you're in the middle of it, it feels very chaotic, right? Outdoor education <laughs> and expeditionary learning feels very chaotic, especially if you are a recent um, early childhood education graduate that is fresh oh. out of college and you have all of these, you know, dreams of like charts and, and graphs and colored pencils. And then you, you step into a setting like this and it it feels very chaotic for a teacher. Um, but when you, when you realize that your students are drawing so much authentic learning from these experiences, it's, it's a no brainer to me. So I think that's the power. Totally. And, you know, at Dulos, this was not an optional program. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, uh, uh, I think commonly it could be that it's a, it's a, like an elective, you know, you can yeah. take this if you want to, which is cool that it's even offered. Um, but at Dulos, this was like, no, everyone. That's right. <laughs> when I say everyone, like everyone does outdoor <laughs> ed. And it, yeah. even, do you remember we, we, when we started this, started doing, um, started using an outdoor education uh, experience as new staff training. Like we would yeah. do, you know, we, we took people snorkeling for the first time 
Yep. And we had people who are like, I'm not getting in that water. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah you are everybody gets <laughs> that's right so, uh, it's like initiation staff initiation well it is it's initiation into the mission of the school you know yeah. of saying this yeah. is who we are and this is what we do and you know there's nine other you know schools in town if if you don't like this you know <laughs> so that's right um but I think it, it's, it's key for culture building and there's kind of this solidarity of we're all suffering together, yes. <laughs> you know, and it is, it feels like chaos, especially um, for parents who this is new, if this mm-hmm. is their first year um, and they're going, well, what about, you know, and they have a whole laundry list of worries and you're like, yeah. okay, well, let's talk about this. So we're going to have a parents meeting. We're going to address these things. And and these are, this is our medical training that we've had, <clears throat> you yeah, know, yeah. this is our emergency plan. Um, we've thought through all these things. Um, and so, yes, there is risk and we cannot take away all risk, but we can, we can have a plan and we can be prepared yeah. um, and we can be trained towards addressing those risks, which is important. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, your, your training with, with Texas A&M and outdoor ed, I mean, you, you had, your wilderness first responder. Um, right. There were all kinds of things that that you were prepared. You yeah. know, you had technical skills that were yeah. important for you to lead, um, not just the education background, but the make sure that whoever's leading your outdoor education program has appropriate skills, or that you find experts that can. That's right. Provide that. That's right, and that that's that's an important piece of all of it, right? Because there is an inherent risk in in stepping outside the classroom. And um, you, you do have to have someone that has some, you know, I had, I had back, back country training and, and experience. I had extraction experience, you know, taking people out of the field uh, if need be. I had uh, yeah. rescue experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, those, those things do need to be boxes that you check when you endeavor to, to do some of these things. Um, because there's a fine line between adventure and misadventure, right? You don't, you don't want to be in over your head because that's when a misadventure happens. But at the same time, if you've, if you've thought out your plan and and you're prepared for it, um, which does take some more forethought, right? You, you have to be more intentional about what you're about to do um, because there, there's a higher risk, but I think the risk pays off in dividends. Um, whenever you see the back end of it, you know. Okay, so let's let's camp there for just a second. Um, yeah. <laughs> for you to prepare adequately mm-hmm. for, you know, if you're going to take kids um, overnight camping somewhere or whatever it is, um, you would go explore it first. Would, you would go. You would go check it out way before way before you would take kids. So you yes. would be able to come back and report to school leadership, hey, this is a great spot because X, Y, Z, or no, we yeah. need to find another place. But you never took anyone sight unseen. Right. So I would I would always go, you know, months in advance of an expedition, I would go myself to the location and make make contacts, you know, um, pick out campsites, things like that, choose routes to how to get to these places. And so I had a laundry list of kind of contingencies, um, that, that we could, 
uh, fall back on if something did happen. And so, um, yeah, I, we never we never took students anywhere that I hadn't or somebody else on the trip hadn't already been at least once, you know. Um, so it, it does have some, um, you know, a little bit more logistics and planning going into the uh, into these trips. <laughs> okay, this is my last question. Okay. Um, for all those folks that are listening and they're going, yeah. you know, I've really, this sounds really interesting. I would love to try this for my school. You were the first expedition coordinator for Dulos. So yeah. if for someone who wanted to launch something like this at their school, what is a word of advice? What, how would you, what, how would you guide them through that process? Yeah, my, my first piece of recommendation would be to call Crystal Wallace um, <laughs> and, and bend her ear about this. Uh, because, you know, you and I did collaborate on a lot of this stuff yeah, um, we did. early on. And we spent hours in meetings talking about these trips and prepping and menu planning and, and all those things. So, um, you know, before I was doing this role, you were kind of doing this role adjunct. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think you're just a wealth of knowledge and a, a good consultant in that uh, first and foremost. But um, I think talk to people in your area, in your community that are like minded, mm -hmm. uh, because chances are very good that if you've had this thought, then other people in your community have had this thought, too. Mm -hmm. And and they want they're craving the same thing for their kids and for the, the students at their school. And so um, start having conversations with the people around you because I think you'd be surprised to find that um, there are people that are ready to move on, on these things. And I also think that there are, um, with a little bit of organization, you can apply for grants and get, oh, uh, I mean, there are, there are organizations and foundations out there that'll throw money at schools and mm -hmm. organizations that are trying to accomplish things in this way educationally. And yeah. um, so um, whenever you do apply for a grant, it's going to force you to formalize some of your thoughts and get them down on paper, right? Which is not a bad thing um, mm -hmm. to, to kind of uh, help you mind meld and, and just get <laughs> some of those things down in a, an intelligible way that you can communicate to other people um, in a passionate way. And so um, I think applying for, for grants locally would be a good option. And then I think just starting, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just make the first step, whatever that looks like. Um, we get this, uh, it, you know, paralysis, but paralysis by analysis where we just overthink it and overthink it in our head. And, you know, maybe I'm not the right person to do this, or I have this barrier or this obstacle, but there's only one way to eat an elephant and that's one bite at a time. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you just, you just have to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, that's so, true. That's very true. Yeah. I mean, you could just do like a, a after-school club to start yeah. off with, you know, with kids who are interested or do like a weekend, you know, a weekend trip and see what other parents might might be engaged with you. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think you just, you just go for it. You go, you launch it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think that people are attracted to things that are being done well and being done consistently. So yeah. if, if you're pursuing something consistently enough that you believe in and you're passionate about it, people will get behind you. 
and that that goes for not only education but that goes for business that goes for ministry that goes for anything you know if if you are pursuing something that you're passionate about and you're doing it well and consistently Mm -hmm. then you'll have backing you know don't worry about that just just start and do it well yeah awesome well we're going to end on that note tim scarborough thank you for joining us today it is awesome to have you on learning to serve Thank you so much, Krista. You've been a a mentor and a friend for a long time. and We really look up to you and Chad. So I appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Hey, thanks for joining us today on the Learning to Serve podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please share this with someone and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcast. I'd like to invite you and your school to attend CDL6, this year's Christian Deeper Learning Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia, on March 8th through 10th, 2023. To register and find out more, visit our website, christiandeeperlearning.org, and also sign up to get our regular blog posts. Remember this quote by Howard Hendricks, Christian education is like a bomb with a long fuse. Sometimes it takes a while to go off.